Hello, everybody. Andrew Gamison here with the Speaking for Him podcast. I hope you're having a fabulous week, and I thank you once again for the opportunity to spend a few moments with you and to hopefully encourage you on this journey that we call the Christian life. I am really excited about today's episode. I know that you hear me say that a lot, but I think that you are going to really enjoy the main segment of today's show. That is because my friend Joseph Reed will be on the show with us. Joe is the father of one of my Potter's House kids, Hannah Reed, and he um, started a ministry, or as he likes to call it, a thing called Broken People. And what I really like about his story is how his struggle became his ministry. And I have talked openly on this show about how my struggle really became my ministry. The struggle that I had with identity when I was a teenager uh, really became the germ that that blossomed into speaking for him. So I really resonated with a lot of what Joe shared, and I'm super excited to share it with you. But first, I want to talk a little bit about what is going on. Well, it's been a busy week for me. I returned to school for the Potter's House Christian School. Super excited to be back at the high school with my students and really just trying to take it hour by hour as I am getting used to my new responsibilities as the primary study hall teacher at the Potter's House High School. And we are trying to add more structure to that, trying to hold the students accountable uh, for what they are doing in the study hall, and that is going fairly well so far. So I would continue to covet your prayers about that. And I just wanted to say a very quick word about Afghanistan and what is going on there. I am praying uh, for everyone in Afghanistan, particularly the Christians who are there, that God would watch over them and protect them. I am saddened by the fact that the Taliban has regained control there, and I am just praying for God to work out a situation uh, for the greater good, even though it looks bad. And that is what God promises us, that all things work together for good for those that love God, for those that are called according to his purpose. And it doesn't mean that everything is good. It means that God can bring good out of bad situations. And I just wanted to say something, too, as an American who watched um, the U.S. go into Afghanistan and really work there to help the people of, of Afghanistan establish a democracy. Some people say that we should never have gone there, and some people say that the only reason We were there as to be colonizers, but I just want to say briefly, I've heard plenty of stories of how the Afghans were grateful that we were there and that we were helping them. And even as we have pulled out of countries uh, in our history, we have often left a a presence. We still have uh, troops regularly stationed in Germany and Japan, two places that we went to as part of our efforts in World War II. And we have friendly relations with these countries as a result. And so I don't think it's all about colonizing or occupying. I do think it's legitimately often about being benevolent and helping other countries. I think it's, I think, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the U.S. has helped so many countries to achieve freedom and to get out from under tyranny, and I think that that's something that we can be grateful for as Americans. Does that mean that we always made the right choices and that we've never made mistakes? No, we could go on and on for hours about the mistakes that we made, but I think that it, that the way things are being handled in Afghanistan right now is an affront to the American people, and I am really praying for God to intervene in that situation.
All right, well, now it's time for our main segment. I just want to say what a pleasure it was to have Joe on the show and to talk to him about life and ministry. Uh, There's so much in the ways that our ministries parallel one another. Both of our ministries were born out of struggle, and both of our ministries have a desire to see broken people restored. Um, I think it's important to reiterate something I've reiterated many times on this show, and that is that God is in the business of using useless people or using broken people. Now, some people say that I shouldn't use words like useless, but the reality is that the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins before Christ saved us. And so if we were dead, we were very much useless. And as far as the world's concerned, many of the heroes of the Bible were useless. Um, Moses had a speech impediment and was one of was the youngest in his family. Uh, Joseph was one of the youngest in his family. And David wasn't even called when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel. And yet he was the choice that God had for his chosen people. So... I just think it's important for us to realize that God's economy is different than our economy and that if we are broken, then we can uh, be used for God. I'm very grateful to be joined today on my podcast by Mr. Joseph Reed. He is the founder of an organization called Broken People uh, that we will get into in the coming moments. Um, And he's also the father of one of my former students at the Potter's House High School. That's our connection. So welcome to the show, Joe. I'm really excited to hear your story. Thank you, Andrew. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome to be here with you today. So uh, I just want you to start out uh, fairly simply and tell us a little bit about your growing up years. Ooh, yeah, so I grew up in uh, Taylor, Michigan, which is kind of a, a suburb of Detroit. And grew up going to uh, Christian school over there. And so I had a really sheltered uh, life, you know, right up through high school. Um, and, you know, we watched PTL in the morning or in the evening. And you know, probably the hardest thing I watched on TV was G.I. Joe and the A-Team. And uh, I, I loved playing sports. I really stunk at school but while I was supposed to be doing school I usually was doing something artistic like drawing mazes or even working on bible quiz for uh for my team's bible quiz team um I seemed to excel at that but just always struggled at school for some reason and uh that was some indication that was something something was going on with me that uh, just didn't just wasn't quite right I yeah I, I I have two brothers um my parents are still together. Uh, you know, we lived in we lived in a home, uh, an apartment in, uh, on the uh, in, in Taylor. Yeah, and it was just a a, a pretty decent nuclear family with with issues, but uh, yeah, I, I would say that's that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and I really resonate with. Uh, the name of your organization, Broken People, because one of the things that uh, is true about my testimony is I had to come to the realization as a young boy of about 14 that even though I felt completely useless, that it's the useless people uh, that God tends to use because when people think that they're useful, there's no room for God to work. And so I really resonate with with what I've known so far about your story uh, regarding this. So I'm really excited to continue uh, to dig in and we'll get more into that. But first tell me a little bit about your family now. Yeah. And that was a brilliant perspective on the, the name broken people. I was, I loved that, that, uh, that perspective. Um, so my family right now, I've been married. We just celebrated 24 years of marriage. My wife, Melissa and I, um, and I've got four kids, uh, Olivia and Hannah, you've met Hannah at Potter's house. 
Um, Olivia and Hannah's going to Grace Bible University right now. And my other daughter works in insurance. And my two boys are still in high school, Zachary and David. They're 18 and 16. Um, yeah. And I got a dog, Roxy. I, my dog would be really upset if, if she didn't, if I didn't mention her. So uh, my wife is a, uh, she works and, and runs a Starbucks in Plainwell. She's the general manager for the store. And that has given me the opportunity to focus on broken people. So I work, uh, I work part-time at FedEx. I've worked for FedEx now for 23 years, just celebrated my 23 anniversary. 23? Ah, words are hard. Yeah, 23rd anniversary. And I just recently became part-time so that I can do more things like talk to you, Andrew, and your audience. And uh, yeah, so that's well, what that's I'm doing. That's awesome um, that you've been with FedEx for 23 years. And it's also awesome that it's helping you continue with your work as um, with broken people. I know for myself, uh, I'm a tent maker as well, working at the Potter's house Christian school and working on speaking for him. So I resonate on that level. Um, so as we start to talk about your organization, broken people, obviously you have a heart um, for people that was given to you by God um, through personal experience, as well as just through walking with him. So maybe could you tell me about the point in your life where your relationship with Jesus uh, became real to you? When did it become personal? You know, I can't really, I really struggled to remember a time it wasn't personal. I, you know, from the moment I remember kind of dedicating my heart to Jesus at, at I think it was five or six years old. Um, my mom had caught me. I'd stolen a brownie and a pack of bubble gum or something like that. Was hiding behind the chair in the living room, munching on this, these, my, uh, my contraband. And she, you know, kind of talked to me about sin and Jesus. And like, it seemed like a really great thing to me. So I, I, I wanted to follow after Jesus. Um, and from that point forward, it's been a really serious, uh, uh, kind of a romantic, godly relationship. I, you know, it's, and there's been times it's been rough where I've, where I've been that person that feels like, like you talked about earlier about not being broken, like feeling adequate enough. Like I've been that person at times where I felt like that Pharisee, like I deserve to, I deserve something or, um, that 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 I'm that I'm somehow elevated in, in stature than other people, but you know I feel like God has saved me through many seasons of my life, and 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 every season, every day is this re-surrendering of myself to Him. And uh, yeah, I just it's it's been a long journey, and you know Him and I wrestle back and forth in terms of faith and doubt. Um, but it's it's been one where I, I I've stuck with it since probably five or six years old. Isn't that the truth that life with Jesus can be a wrestling match? Obviously, more from our side than from his, uh, because yeah. he knows <laughs> what's best. But often we get in his way and we say, "Well, God, what about this?" I, I think of Jacob when you said that about uh, wrestling with God because he literally wrestled with God. Yep. But then thinking about his whole life, I thought it was interesting when he went into Egypt because God said, fear not to go down to Egypt. I'll preserve your family. He goes mm-hmm. into Egypt and and Pharaoh asks about his life. And his response to Pharaoh is, at 110 years old, I believe, he says, few and evil have been the years of my life. And mm-hmm. if Jacob, who is a great patriarch, of our faith can say that about himself. What does that say about you and me and the way that we uh, look at our lives and what God is able to do a lot of times in spite of us rather than because of us? You know, I don't remember that part, Andrew. And that, that really encourages me because I've been thinking a lot about recently when Paul said that, that we need to boast in our weaknesses. You know, I think, in churches, you know, you hear, you see churches that are bragging about giving out backpacks and get, and, and doing all these community service stuff. When, when God, 
and and Paul commended us to boast about our weaknesses. And I think that that's what creates such a, a divisiveness between the church and the world is we make ourselves look to be great and people come to the church and realize that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. Whereas if we just told them we were a bunch of hypocrites and we're just trying to, we're just trying to be great, um, then I think that the expectation wouldn't be so huge. But we get this perception that we we're good people and we're doing good things when we're, we're, we're pretty messed up people. We're pretty broken people. And that's a great introduction to the main topic of our discussion today. And that is your ministry, broken people. So why don't you walk us through the story uh, that led to you um, starting this organization and we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, first just to start, you know, I I don't actually know the definition of what a ministry is, but I really avoided that term when I first started it. Um, and I'll explain why in a minute. But um, I had a friend. He was uh, my friend, Nathan, and I, super close. Uh, he has a mental illness. I have a mental illness. And we were just two peas in a pod. And he was the type of guy that would just give you the shirt off his back. It was a really big shirt, like a, like a quadruple X, because he was a big guy. So it could probably like his one shirt would probably clothe like a whole city. I don't know, but it was pretty impressive. Um, but he was just that generous a guy to the point of, of, of fault where he would um, give and give and give and give. And, you know, him and I, we were in and out of mental hospitals ourselves. So I was in a psych ward, uh, three separate occasions. And he was in probably four or five times. And we were just there supporting each other. And, you know, I was not so, I, I use the term come out of the closet in terms of my mental health. I wasn't so uh, open or courageous about sharing my struggle. But this guy right here, Nathan, our worship pastor was just insanely open and vulnerable about his struggle. And on January 25th, 2018, I got a phone call that, that my friend, my best friend, my worship pastor, my confidant had taken his own life. And I felt abandoned and I felt angry. And it was in that moment that I, I, after I got that call that I received probably a more even clear call from God to, to do something about my struggle and to be less hidden about it. Cause I've had a, a support system around me for years that that's been superb. So it's not like I, I didn't have a group of people that would, that I could fall back on if I was struggling. But when I lost my friend, Nathan, like that was the one dude that could relate to me. And at that moment, when he passed away, I knew I was going to do something related to mental health. And I thought, well, I'm going to write a book. So I started writing a book. So my friend Clarkson, our daily bread ministries, he said to me, um, you know, do you want to, do you want to write a book and have an impact on only the reader or do you want to have a ministry? And I said, I, I, the last thing I want is a ministry. And the reason why is because I feel like Grand Rapids, West Michigan has enough ministries already here that we just need better people to run the ministries we have but at the same time i was like you know i have a heart to reach people and so i said i, I, I said to him i'll start a thing that's my actual word i'm starting a thing and because and when i'm at my lowest point when i'm feeling depressed i feel broken and i think about how jesus was broken and bruised for our transgressions you know jesus the original broken person for us um I, I couldn't think of a better way. And, and some people could look at it as, salt, as insulting. They could be like, oh, I'm not broken. I just, I'm just, you know, I just struggle. I have a mental illness or whatever. And, and I understand that. I can relate to that. But there are people in, that, are, that are like me, broken like me, which is the title of my book, um, who, who can relate to that. And I wanted to create a place, an organization, an environment, a platform, so that when people looked for people that felt broken like them, they would find me in my community and, 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 and find a family uh, to encourage them. Cause it's not only people that struggle with mental illnesses, people with uh, physical disabilities and people with uh, that, that go through abuse. Um, it's a lot, it's a, it's a wide variety. Being broken describes a lot of things, including sinful nature. 
but um yeah so that's i i I started writing the book and then broken people started and then you know people just started joining and now we have people from 44 countries that are part of broken people um we have a a great team of directors and moderators that help run the program and we have in-person meetings that happen and it's interesting that you started out with this vision to write a book and then you ended up starting a thing, as you say, or a ministry. Yeah. And I have to say, I resonate a lot with that as well, because I felt compelled to write a book myself, which I wrote um, uh, several years ago on biblical manhood called Men of Valor. It started out with this this goal to write a book for youth, telling, mm-hmm. challenging them to have a higher view of themselves and a higher view of what God could do through them. And then I realized that, well, God has different plans for men and women. He created them unique um, for his glory and for his kingdom. And so I wrote the book men of valor and out of that came speaking for him. And I had the same thought that you had that there's so many ministries around Grand Rapids. The last thing that needs to happen (laughs) is another ministry. Yeah. My initial thought was, well, if I could, um, join on another ministry, that would make me very happy as well. Um, But God really led uh, me little by little uh, to begin speaking for him. I officially launched my website in 2009, and now I travel around to different churches and preach, and I also have a weekly podcast, which has been going since October of 2012. So it's just been really great to see the things that God has allowed me to do and the people that he has connected me to as a result of my ministry. But I, I definitely resonate with a lot of this story. And, you know, you were talking about all kinds of brokenness. And I actually have been discussing on my podcast some of the myths of modern Christianity. And one of the myths of modern Christianity is that we don't have to tell people uh, that they're sinners, but the reality is that in order to have Jesus make a difference in our lives, we have to realize that we are brokenness. So brokenness is a key for all of us to get to this place to say, well, well I am broken because the only non-broken person is Jesus. And he voluntarily was broken for us, as you already said. So I, I think it's so key that you're mentioning about how, being broken in any variety of areas is kind of the starting place to then having success. The problem is we get this idea that success has to do with, with worldly um, items and pursuits when really success is living an abundant life in Jesus Christ. And he said, a broken and a contrite spirit is what he desires in us. So I think that's a very exciting thing to realize that you're encouraging people and to say to them, hey, you may be broken, but so am I. Um, The only one that did not need to be broken ended up being broken on our behalf because he chose to do so. And I also think it's interesting that we often say, well, Christians shouldn't suffer. There are certain people in the Christian world that say Christians shouldn't suffer. But the ironic thing to me is Jesus suffered on our behalf. And if Jesus, the perfect son of God suffered, why should we think that we are so great as to not suffer ourselves? So I really resonate with a lot of what you're saying. And I want to let you know that encourages me as well. Nice. Glad. You know, a couple, a couple points that you, you mentioned um, struck me. Uh, first of all, you don't have to have a ministry to minister. You just have to love. Um, I think Galatians 5, 6 talks about the the essence of faith being love. And I think that sums up the entire Bible and how we love others. And the other thing about brokenness, most of the people that I know that are pursuing God with a genuine heart already know they're broken. It's the people that think like like the Pharisees that think they've got it all together who need to realize that they're broken. And it's something, you know, I think, wasn't it Jesus that talked about them falling on the stone and being crushed 
or the stone falling on them and being crushed. Um, there, there, there's got to come to a point where, yeah, you got to realize that you're broken. And really, that's what God needs you to be or wants you to be so that he can reform and shape and mold you. You know, one of the things that happened when I, after I started Broken People and was working heavily on the book was I was pursuing uh, publishing it with Zondervan, which is a Christian publisher in West Michigan, well, all over the world. Um, but I just had this check in my spirit, like just something doesn't feel right about it. And uh, I didn't want to, and, and finally I came to the point where I was like, I got to pull away from this relationship, these conversations I was having with them because I didn't want to pigeonhole what I was doing into a Christian audience because that's not my, my story will have less effect or it, it's not, it's not the passion of my heart to tell a bunch of people that know they're loved by Jesus, that they're loved by Jesus. And it's, it's, it's not helping them, but, but with broken people in my book, there are people that are picking up the book, listening to podcasts and part of broken people. The majority of people that are part of broken people would never set foot in a church, would never drive into the parking lot. And when I create that space and that platform to share my brokenness and share my faith um, in, a, in, a, in a compassionate way, which I kind of think Jesus did in a loving way, uh, in a tangible way, um, I think, you know, in terms of bringing people to Christ, it's, it's if we can do anything about that, if we can have any effect on, on quote unquote, bringing people to, to Christ, then that's the best we have to offer. But it's really just the work of the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus who really does everything. Um, you know, we're just, I'm just, I just, I just try to be a billboard and just try to, you know, walk in love and, and faithfulness and, um, you know, doing that in front of the world, doing that in front of people that are not like me or people that are broken like me, but don't have my faith. Um, I feel like is a, is, is the best way to do it. And, you know, that I self-published and have a bestseller, um, man, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by God's graciousness and that the book is getting in the hands of people that, you know, I talk about my relationship with Jesus. I'm, I, one of my earliest chapters is, is, is called about God and why I bring up God in this conversation about mental health. I, in fact, I just spoke to the Grand Valley's Police Academy on Saturday, um, actually uh, well, a week ago Saturday, and talked about Jesus to the cadets in love and or the recruits in love. And it's all it's all interconnected with who I am in my story. It's, 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 it can't be separated. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, Jesus said that we are to abide in him. And if we're abiding in him, then he will come out of us like streams of living water. And I, I think yeah. it's so important to meet people where they are as broken people. But then we know that Jesus command Jesus, uh, true show of love was not to leave them there because remember he said to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn thee. But then he said, go and sin no more. So the exciting right. thing is to introduce people to the power of Jesus and then to have Jesus make a change in their lives. That's so permanent that only God can get the glory and that they can say, I was one way, but now I'm completely different. And the difference is Jesus. And that's yeah. got to be yeah. an exciting thing for you to witness. Yeah, man. I just had a conversation. I taught Sunday school 20 years ago at Grand Rapids First Assembly. And I got a phone call from one of the kids I taught um, who's addicted to, to opioids really bad and like heroin and, and all this stuff. And he wanted to sit down and talk. And this idea of of not having to get clean and make choices in order to come to Jesus was really hard for him to understand. And I said to him, you know, if, if we are, if, if, if salvation was just about us getting ourselves good enough to come to Jesus, then we wouldn't have no need for Jesus. But what we do is we come to Jesus and we come to the cross as we are broken individuals. And then God begins to shift and change the desires of our heart and gear them towards him. And it was really hard to, and I don't know if it got through to him, but, but uh, I know something in that conversation did, but we don't, we don't ever have to change because God changes us. And it's not, and, and one of the best things about that is like, there's so many things that I want 
that I don't want to want, like Paul said, you know, I, I want the things I don't want to do. I do the things I want, I don't want to do. And, you know, and I, I keep my constant prayer to God is just change my heart, change the things I want and make me more like you creating me a, a clean heart, God. And, um, you know, it's that transformation that we really have to trust and rely on God's grace and strength to bring us to, um, and stop trying to think that we are strong enough or good enough that we can ever get ourselves to that place of holiness that God wants us to be. That's awesome. So as you have gone through this process of dealing with your own mental health and then starting this ministry, this thing uh, called Broken People, <laughs> and, Thank this you. Book, and this book called Broken People Like Me, how, what kind of an impact has that had on your own children as they watch you walk through this? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been tricky. Um, I have at least three of my children struggle with a mental health disability. Two of them seriously. Uh, and my daughter, Hannah, that attended Potter House, I, I asked my whole family to write about their perspective of my mental health journey. Um, I wanted to see what they had to say. And I thought, hey, I'll throw it in the book if it's any good, <laughs> you know? And my uh, my daughter, Hannah, wrote something. And I was like, this has got to be the forward to my book. So I took her message and put it right smack dab in the front of my book because she just talks about, under, you know, never even knowing about my struggle until recently. Um, and, and knowing that that's something that she's dealt with. Um, and just having empathy for me. You know, my wife, it's hard for her to understand my struggle. And, and she really deals with anger because she's afraid what's going to happen to me. You know, she, she knows that I've been suicidal. She knows um, that despite the fact that I love her and my children so much that at times I just want to, I want to end it. And she, her way of dealing with that fear is anger. And that, that creates a lot of conflict in the family. And my, my boys and my, and my daughters, a lot of times they don't understand it. Um, but through this journey of vulnerability, um, I just keep turning it over to God and, and, and ask him to help me say the right things to make sure I have appropriate boundaries where I'm not like for my, 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 my children that struggle, like not sharing things out of line uh, in public about them um, and honoring their, their, uh, their space. But it's those battles and it's that, that the opportunities we have, like James one says, you know, consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds and, you know, it's, it's, it's when we can look at those situations, whatever the struggle may be, if it's temptation to look at pornography or use, uh, you know, illicit drugs or, you know, just to losing control of your family. It, it's in those situations where if we can consider joy an option, if we can consider joy as a possibility in those situations, then I think all of the fear, all of the guilt that causes us and leads us down a path of unrighteousness even more loses its hold. And we let light in through that brokenness of who we are to transform that inner deeper part of who we are. And then as James continues to say, then we become more mature and complete, right? Through perseverance. Uh, man, I love James. <laughs> and he was the brother of Jesus. So he, you know, he had an inside scoop on, on a lot of things going on with Jesus. So I'm definitely listening to him. Well, and he also had a lot of frustration, no doubt, uh, because I'm sure there were times growing up when people said, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? Because oh, obviously wow. he was perfect, but the comparison between the two would have been stark because he was the only one that was capable of being perfect. And perhaps that's yep. why it says early in Jesus' ministry that his own brothers and sisters didn't believe on him. And we know right. that at least James and Jude, who was another half-brother of Jesus, believed and wrote epistles to the early church. But it, that the process of getting there for them was perhaps longer than some other people because they had had to live with him as a physical brother, despite the fact that he was the son of God and is the son of God. So that had to be quite a wild thing. And another thing I was thinking of, and, and I hope this encourages the listeners as well as you, 
is that a lot of times we think of depression as a as a non-Christian thing, but I, I just think of Elijah, and he has this confrontation um, on Mount, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, and he wins a great victory because he sets up the altar and he digs the trench and he dumps the water over it, and then he calls down fire out of heaven, and God answers that prayer, and it's mighty, and he k- kills the prophets of Baal, and then he runs away for his life. And then what does he say when he gets to the desert? He says, Lord, I just want to die. Yeah. He's, he's this great prophet of God, and yet he says, Lord, I just want to die. And God gives him refreshment. He gives him food. He gives him rest. He speaks to him with a still, small voice. And then he later tells him about the hundreds of people that have not yet bowed their knee to Baal. Let him know that he's not alone. And again, another example of someone who is this great example to us in the Bible, but also shows that even the godliest of people can struggle. And that's what I like about the Bible. It doesn't sugarcoat the struggles that the saints of the Lord have. Yeah, I I can only think of two... uh people in the scripture that really doesn't really talk about their struggle and, and, and maybe just because I don't know the story, but Joseph and Daniel um, were, were two people that were faced some hard times, but, you know, it doesn't really, as far as I remember, talk about their, you know, them being emotionally struggling. However, I do look at Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane where he said he was, you know, sorrowful to the point of death, like, holy cow, like the son of God, fully God and fully man was like, I could just die right now. Lord, take this cup from me. Like, I'm not saying Jesus was depressed, but man, he was feeling pretty bad. And he was he was definitely struggling. And uh, man, if he's going to struggle that much, you know, the, the very essence of our salvation, um, man, then I think, I think, you know, and, and what is depression anyways? What's mental illness? Mental illness is just a really, really complicated physical illness, right? Think about all the complicated physical illnesses going on there. Um, we don't, we barely have any understanding of the brain, um, but we're getting there. We're we're doing some research, but yeah, there's just so many things. There's more that we don't understand about depression than what we do understand about it. Well, I really appreciate the time that you've taken with us today. I just have a couple more questions. The first one being, um, I know we've mentioned a couple of Bible stories so far in this interview, but do you have a particular Bible verse that you go back to over and over again to encourage you or maybe kind of a life verse? Oh man, I saw this question in there and I didn't look it up, but let me tell you what it is. Um, at least the nature around it. Um, I, I think Romans five, eight for sure is, is a, is a big one that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. You know, that, that helps me parent. Like while my parent, while my kids are so disrespectful, and man, if you would have heard my my one of my kids said to me an hour ago, yeah, it's just like, yeah, they may not like me very much, but uh, you know, while they are still hating on me, I'm gonna give my life for them and and try to do the right thing all the way through that. That's the example of God. Um, but then there's the story of of Moses, when when God is calling Moses to speak to Pharaoh, and Moses is like. I can't do it. Not going to do it. And God's like, who gave man his mouth? Who made him speak? You know, and who gave him ears to hear? Isn't I not, isn't not I the Lord now go and speak. I will tell you what to say. And I just think, man, how incapable I feel sometimes and how deserving or undeserving I feel at times of a platform, so to speak. And God puts us in situations where he believes in us. And he's equipped us. And even though I might not speak great, like, like Moses felt, um, I think if we had more people that were less well-spoken, speaking the word of God from the, from the pulpits and from the street corners, I think that would resonate more with people, the average Joe in culture. Because when you try to put together pretty words, People can't relate to that. People can't relate to the orderliness and the prettiness of a, of a well-crafted speech, but they can relate well to 
some of the crap that comes out of my mouth when when I when I don't know what to say, like right now. <laughs> but well, you know, it, it, it's not pretty. It's 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 vulnerable and it's 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 real. Well, and isn't it interesting? You know, you were talking about Moses, and again, something that I resonate with heavily. Um, God used the story of Moses to help me to stop making excuses. In my early speaking career, I was going back through some of my sermon archives and and making it easier for people to search them. And I found that I go back to that story a lot of Moses and his excuses before God. Isn't it interesting that God could have just spoken a word and released the people of Israel from Egypt? He had that power, and yet he was not going to give up on Moses. He said, Moses, this is my calling for you. And I am going to do this through you, and I'm not going to let you say no to me. And he even provided with him Aaron to be his prophet. He said, Aaron will be your prophet, and you will be to him as God. You will put words in his mouth, and he will communicate on your behalf. And I just just think about that, and, and I realize that God has the answers before we open our mouth. And so he is going to uh, work through us if we surrender to him. Now, does he need us? No, he can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants. But if he's determined to do something through you, he's not going to let you get away with not doing it. That's the place that I had to come to because when I was five, I accepted the Lord as my personal savior. And for the first nine years of my life as a Christian, I made excuses about why I couldn't fully serve him. And when I was 14, God finally broke through and said, stop making excuses. The one interesting thing about Moses is if you read Acts chapter 7, it gives the impression that Moses was thought he was ready as a young man to deliver his people from Egypt while he was still living as a son of the Pharaoh. Um, but, But nobody would listen to him. And then God leads him on the back of the desert for 40 years. And then he says, okay, Moses, now you're ready. And by the time Moses, he said Moses was ready, then Moses didn't want anything to do with it. Right. So I just think it's very interesting how God sometimes has to humble us. And I really see that in the story of Joseph, too. Joseph wasn't ready to be the governor of Egypt when he was 17 years old. So God right. put him into a pit, and then he put him into slavery, and then he put him in the Potiphar's household, and then he put him in prison. And every step of the way, the story says the Lord was with him. And then he ultimately elevated him to governor of Egypt for the purpose of saving many people alive. So you just think about those journeys and you realize that's the kind of journey that God wants us to be on with him as well. Complete reliance. Yeah, it's a trip. I don't like that story. I don't like the story. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there are things in the Bible that I don't, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of, bro, but it doesn't mean it's not true. And I think that's one of the powerful things about scripture is we don't have to like everything. Um, and, and God's a big boy. He can handle it. He can have these tough conversations with us. And I'm like, I don't understand God. Why did you have, why didn't you just free the Israelites? Why didn't you just, why did Joseph have to like be, made a slave and then his wife and Potiphar's wife have to trip him up and then go back to prison and all this other stuff. It ain't pretty. It's not pretty, but God's, God's got a plan. And it's, I'm glad, I'm glad he does. Cause my plan, like my plan would be like, if I had my plan, I'd be like, okay, I'm born a millionaire and my life is just easy. But that's, that's that kind of life, man. That's no life. That's, yeah, I, I would choose the life I have over, you know, having an easy like that any day because there's no strength there's no no story in that. There's no no glory for God in that. Well, and I heard about I heard a recent story of a celebrity uh, just weeping on their Instagram because they said, "As popular as I am, I want people to love me for who I am. Yep. Not not for who they think I am, not for my celebrity, not for how great I am at what I do, but for who I am. And it's got to be." in a lot of cases, a very lonely life at the top because all these people think they know you, but you don't have the intimacy and the quality of relationship um, that you would with a, with a genuine friend who, who loves you for you and doesn't care 
that you're rich or multi-platinum or any of that stuff. And so I think that is the beauty of a relationship with Jesus and also of a relationship with a friend who also loves Jesus is that you have a friendship that's on an unbreakable level through the bond of the blood of Jesus Christ, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, So, um, what would you say as we close is the biggest lesson that God is teaching you right now? Ooh, if you asked me that question a week ago, I would say, you know, one of Jesus's greatest command, Jesus said the greatest commandment, you know, one of the two is love your neighbor as yourself. And that, you know, it's not love your neighbor more than you love yourself or love your neighbor way more than you think you should love yourself, but love your neighbor as yourself. And what he's doing there is setting a precedent for how we can love our neighbor. And that's starting with loving ourselves. Um, so learning how to love myself is really, really important um, so that I can be more capable of loving my neighbor. But, but that, that was a week ago right now, man. Um, I think right now I'm just trying to learn to hear his voice and his direction, you know, through reading scripture. I'm in the book of numbers right now and man, I'm struggling. Uh, but there is so much in the book of numbers. When I think about the children of, of Levi, there are three sons and, and God chose the middle son um, to carry the ark and to handle all of the great worth things. Not the, not the firstborn son of Levi, but the, but the middle son. And I think about how, how intimidating that could be for the firstborn, but and also like how that middle son of Levi maybe felt like so undeserving to have such an honor as to, to, to carry around that ark and all of the precious items inside the tabernacle. And, um, and I'm trying not to miss the message of God through those unique scriptures that that's so easy to pass over. Um, and, uh, and uh, that's, that's what I'm, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Well, it's such a balancing act, isn't it? The Christian life, because on one hand, in order to have success in our Christian life, we have to acknowledge that apart from God, our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But then on the other end of the spectrum is the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made because we are made in the image of God. And so when you look at both of those things in tandem, you realize that, yes, as I love myself, which God knows that we are good at loving ourselves, I think that's why he puts that comparison there, to love yeah. your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, there are places in the scripture where he says, esteem others better than yourself. But even yeah. there, I think I think loving yourself is an important part of that because as you love yourself and you knew that you know that you would treat yourself well, it's just like what God says to Husbands about loving your wives. He says, no man hates his own body. Every man loves and cherishes his own body and takes care of his body. And so in in the same way, we are to take care of our wives if we are married. So I think this whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself comes because God knows that we know how to love ourselves. So now he's saying, apply it to loving your neighbor. And then what you were talking about, about hearing the voice of God and just how God works through unexpected people. That's another way, right? Cause he doesn't always go through or even often go through the oldest. Moses was the youngest Miriam and Aaron had to submit to Moses's leadership, even though they were his older siblings. Joseph certainly yeah. wasn't the oldest. He was the youngest uh, son or one of the youngest sons, Benjamin being the youngest, but right. then, so that was the case. And over and over, you see this, Jacob was the youngest, you know, over and over in God's plan, the younger um, had had a servant and the older, uh, because God's paradigm isn't our paradigm. Uh, Isaiah says right. his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. They're different and they're better because God's way is what we would choose if we knew all the facts. <laughs> and we don't know nope. all the facts because we're finite, so... I think that's an important thing to clarify as we end. Well, before I say goodbye, Joe, I just want to give you an opportunity to tell us about your uh, thing, uh, Broken People. Tell us where we can find you on the Internet, and then tell us where we can find your book. 
Yeah, so my website is www.broken-people.org. And you can find a link to the book. It's on Amazon. It's Broken Like Me, an insider's toolkit for mending broken people. Um, yeah, or look under my name, Joseph Reed. I've got I've got one book out there right now, and I've got some other things happening that'll be coming out soon. Um, yeah, that's how you find it. All right. Well, we'll certainly put the link to the, all this information on the blog post for the speaking for him episode. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Joe. I know that I was encouraged today. I hope that you were as well. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah. And and if everybody would just go on and subscribe to your podcast and and, and write a review, that would be awesome. Five stars (laughs) today, right now. Thank you, brother. Sure. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks again, Joe, for taking the time to sit down with us on the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm super grateful that we got a chance to share your story, and I really appreciate your honesty, your candor, and your love for Jesus. So please make sure that you check out Joe's ministry at the website that he mentioned. As we mentioned in the interview, I will have that information available on the blog for this episode, so make sure that you are availing yourself of speakingforhim.blogspot.com. That's all I have for you this week, but I hope that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 